on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. You could say that the ego is, yeah, that the mature ego lives in service of the soul. And so I started to see it in terms like that, that my masculine is in a way my kind of, my my ego in a sense, and that it was wanting now to live in service of my soul, my feminine. And actually how terrifying that is, how terrifying it is to commit to your soul life. It's just like, it demands absolutely everything of you. And we want to hide in relationships or we want to find someone else that we can like get really obsessed with and not do our our life in a way. And to say yes to what your soul is asking of you is a massive death in a way of your ego or or that's how I experienced it. What does it mean to be a man today? The old ideas of masculinity are dissolving and the new expressions are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric collapse, how might we look to the old myths and archetypes for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculine. My guest today is Bo Huntress, a London-based musician and longtime friend whose work powerfully explores the themes and archetypes of the feminine journey. We first met in 2014 at the New Story Summit gathering in Scotland, where after seeing her perform, I knew I had to collaborate with her. We immediately shot a live performance of her track, Green Dragon, a song about female initiation. Since then, Bo has continued to release a prolific range of albums, including Kiss the Witch, The Female Power, and the forthcoming 13 Queens. More recently, Bo has undergone a quest to integrate her own inner masculine, a story which I felt was deeply fitting for this podcast. She describes how a trio of failed relationships cracked her open to the deepest heartbreak of her life, how this led her to look into intergenerational grief through her father line, and ultimately, the willingness to end the war between the polarities of her soul. Just a note, halfway through this episode, Bo performs her song, Undefended Heart, which she wrote to crystallize the courtship of this sacred union. Enjoy. Bo Hundress, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Would you take a moment and tune us into where you are right now? Yeah. I'm in my flat in London. I live in North London. And um, my cat's here on the sofa. And yeah, I'm just in my beautiful living room overlooking lots of plants. Yeah. Is this also your primary creative recording studio? Yeah, I record at home. I, I've always recorded at home, actually. I, I like the feeling of that, of feeling really relaxed. And also it's like a bit of a playroom for me. So I get up in the morning and come in and it's just like, oh, I could play the guitar. I could play the keyboard. I could uh, sing. So it's, it's like a, it's an open invitation at all times to have my studio at home. Sometimes that can be a challenge for artists when their creative tools are right there. Mm. <laughs> the sort of mi- the mixed uh, blessing of 
being accessible all the time and this feeling of, or maybe I struggle sometimes with the capacity to be creative all the time instead of maybe having a separation between when I step into that space or not. And I I wonder how that is for you. Yeah, I, I generally tended to prefer it to have, to have everything there because, um, well, in the past it was because I was very prolific and just wanted to do it all the time to write and create. And then in more recent times, it's not, it's not been easy for me to, to write and create. And I think that's because my creative form has been kind of elsewhere. I've been putting on a lot of shows and doing like immersive theater and storytelling. So I've had less um, creative juice to pour into music making. And so it's actually nice just to have it there because then I'm like, maybe I will pick it up. Whereas I might not have if it wasn't there. We first met in 2014 at the News Story Summit in Finhorn, Scotland. Yeah, what an amazing summit that was. So many great connections there. I was actually there to, I was invited to be one of the filmmakers uh, to cover the event. And I remember one afternoon where you were invited to perform uh, to the entire delegation. I think it was about maybe 200 people. I think around I there. think it was 350 people, but maybe I always okay. bump up my audience size <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and there was visionaries and artists and activists and I think scientists and just all types of people that were invested in this uh, exploration of what is the new story for humanity. And it, you, the performance you gave, you sang a song that uh, was Green Dragon. Mm. Might have been one of a few. And... I remember being so taken by that track at the time and then particularly the lyrics as well because the I was in a relationship at the time that was going through some challenges where it really felt like the song spoke to her journey. And I realized, from a mythic lens actually, and for me as a man, it actually felt beautiful to hear that from another woman, uh, to speak that uh and to, and to share the the mythic lens around what what seemed to be a, the the subject or the theme of initiation or female initiation, and you also shared at that performance how you came to find your own voice, or maybe if I recall how your voice came and pounced you and and uh, mm-hmm. sort of didn't let you go until you were able to to give her expression. And I would love to hear a bit of that story. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that is partly what I want to share today is is the experience of being really deeply called by um, something. And, and in this case, we're calling it the feminine. And I, I guess I'm getting more and more kind of um, uncomfortable with using the terms feminine and masculine because of because of how binary it is and because it doesn't work for for a lot of people um but another way that I look at it is is the soul and um that's another way that I've been kind of playing with with those ideas that or at least my experience of what I have been calling the feminine is actually feels like it's my deepest soul my deepest essence and I refer to that to her as she um because that's what feels right for me at the moment um so yeah so at that time 
I was really being called by her, by my soul, by by what you might call my deep feminine. And um, and I'd come out of Christianity and being in a marriage and um, really living a life that was kind of given to me in a way that was not really my own. And so I then went on this journey of of discovering this kind of wild self at the core of my being, this kind of wild, erotic, chaotic, irrational, intuitive, full of life force. And um and I and I got to I got to know her and I think that was that was particularly quite an embodied experience really. Like the experience of of realizing that I was in a body <laughs> and letting that really I remember at the news story summit saying something about how she kind of came into my my face and my eyes and my face changed and and she came down like through my body right down to my feet and to the earth I was standing on and so in a way for me it was a kind of an experience of of imminence like as in coming and being a being on the planet and not being a kind of spiritual um, as I had been kind of light being, if you know what I mean, like a more heavenly thing and actually becoming very real and becoming very raw and becoming very like something that could be covered in mud and something that could roar and something that could break stuff and <laughs> be messy. And yeah. How has that influenced your work, uh, or at least perhaps this last chapter of your work? Because I know you've released uh, a number of EPs now. Mm. I think one was Kiss the Witch, mm. uh, there's Medusa, there's a female power. And so clearly it feels like you've channeled that imminence into your music. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been my that's been my one theme. I, I haven't really deviated from it at all. Um, I've just basically been writing from that place of my wild feminine and um yeah that it's quite often that she's like calling that she's kind of she's through the songs it's like she's calling for recognition she's calling for um destruction often like one of the songs on a female power is called sea queen and it's it's like really the voice of of the ocean of the sea of this like destructive power that's so incredibly powerful uh and that's how i experience her and how i experienced her at the time and i think really what happened was i just i totally fell in love with the with the feminine and having been brought up i was quite a tomboy as a kid and i was i was um I had older sisters that like I found difficult and I preferred the company of boys. I used to play football and climb trees. You know, I was very like, um, yeah, preferred that world and, and rejected a lot of what I understood to be feminine at the time. So I kind of thought of the feminine as like gossipy and two faced and like cruel and, and, um, superficial and like those kinds of things and then it was like discovering this other whole other landscape of feminine which was which was more about yeah this absolute depth like such incredible depth and wildness and yeah all of the other things I've named like chaos is one I particularly love um mm. <laughs> yeah so falling in love with 
her. And then at the time, that time in my life, I actually, that was the time when I was experimenting with my sexuality as well. And I had a couple of sexual relationships with women. And it was, for me, that experience was about really falling in love with with the feminine or with women or with women, um, like wholly, like to encompass the whole experience of that and with my body. And I remember the first time I made love with a woman, I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow, she's just, she is melting and opening. And I feel like I'm seeing the most beautiful thing in the entire universe. Like, I feel like I can see the cosmos through her eyes in this experience that she is opening and I am, I am making that happen somehow. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. And it, it was this sense of being like, oh, I do that. I have that. And I've experienced that from the inside of like what it's like to open sexually. But I haven't ever seen what it's like to witness that and to co-create that Um and so it really gave me such a profound love really for for yeah for what for what I'm calling the feminine right now and um I I think really what I'm saying is is I totally fell in love with the feminine and all my songs about her and then started to have an experience of I think the closer I got to her the more I was able to feel my vulnerability my feelings my emotions um the more I actually began to be able to relate to her from another side of me. And um, I mean, I, I was just going to say, and then I, and then I fell in love with a man and um, that kind of initiated a whole other experience. But, but a crucial thing before I fell in love with the man was that in that period of time, I also really let myself hate men and I think that that was a really important part of my own process and potentially part of anybody's process who's been a, a, like oppressed in a systematic way as women have been. So there was a period of time then when I had female lovers and it was just like, I don't need men. I hate men. Fuck them. You know, and I actually had to really let myself go there like fully like and it's about turning inside out the shame that's been internalized from the oppression so you know a lot of women carry the shame of sexual abuse um of just being a woman that's not seen as um value valuable in our culture and so this kind of moment of just really letting myself turn that inside out and be like no i don't hate myself as a woman i don't i hate you the oppressor and I think that that needs to happen on on all levels for in in all of the oppressions that we have you know race racism um gender and sexuality homophobia transphobia like all of these things we need to give a moment at least <laughs> a long moment to being able to say actually it's not me it it's it's you have oppressed me and i'm giving i'm shedding that self mm. internalized hatred so much in there yeah i hear in what you're saying also a, a way of seeing the me too movement mm. uh sort of this this process happening on mass and i wonder again if you see that as well yeah in 
this kind of collective response of like, you know, sort of no more uh, from the feminine. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do see that. And I think, I mean, it's a very interesting conversation because what happened for me personally was that I, I had the space, I had spaces. So I was doing at the time like women's work and men's work and relationship work. And so I had a space where I could go as a woman and stand in front of a group of men and just say it all, like say everything I was angry about, the things that had happened to me, the things that weren't acceptable, the things are okay, not okay, and just absolutely say it all. And they received me and they could stand there and say, this shouldn't have happened to you and we're sorry that that has happened to you. Not to take that, not that they were taking personal culpability, but that there were men who could receive that and say, yeah, you're right, this shouldn't have happened. And collectively, I'm not sure that we're quite there. <laughs> I'm not sure that's quite happening. I think something like that might be happening in some places and um, in some people, but I think it's it's very hard for the oppressor to or the representative of the oppressor to do that um and Mm. i I think we've we've hardly barely seen it in terms of racism we hardly see it in terms of homophobia Mm. we hardly you know and and actually yeah we need to we need to Mm. see more more of those spaces and actually being able to have the humility as the oppressor to say yeah that shouldn't have happened to you and just mm. to be able to receive that moment so that then the change can happen. I believe it was Robert Bly who spoke about this collapse of the mythic imagination yeah. that has happened in modern culture. And I also hear in what you're saying that this capacity for almost like an archetypal encounter or an archetypal witness or redemption um, feels like it can't happen in a culture that has no mythic imagination because then otherwise it's just personal. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I know there's circumstances where this kind of bearing witness to, um, that, that, you know, say from women to men, a lot of men have a problem with that because they collapse into the individual. They'll say, well, I didn't do it. You know, like what, but yeah, but those are the other men, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. do it. And in a way, like there's no capacity to see that there's something, there's, there's a whole other layer, which, you know, I, I believe it is the mythic imagination, the mythic capacity mm. to, to see oneself as participating in a larger story. And uh, in a other interview I found for Review Online, how you spoke about how you believe myth is the missing piece for understanding meaning, or, or perhaps a different way of understanding meaning at this time. And before we leap to uh, your own deep dive into your masculine journey, uh, I'd love for you to speak about how you understand myth and mythology to be this missing piece. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just to stay with the theme, in terms of, of masculine and feminine and, and myth, for me, the, the masculine and the feminine are mythic archetypes. And, and so we, that's why we get into like such a kind of mess around this and gender, because there's so many layers going on with that in that um, we have these very conditioned gender roles and gender experiences that we're trying to unravel in this time, I think. Um, so it's very difficult to kind of separate what's mythic from what is actually lived in this, in this world at this time. 
Um, but yeah, for us to really go into the into the mythic aspect, the archetypal realm of the masculine and feminine, is to just get. It's just it's just not about men and women then at all. Um, it's it's about uh, tuning into something that's um, energetic and and actually I think we've really got no idea what masculine is and what feminine is like we don't really know um, it's only something that you can actually have an experience of yourself and it's not something that can kind of be told to you and I guess that's my experience of of archetypes in general is letting myself actually experience something so I work a lot with um with archetypes and you know particularly with the menstrual cycle working with the different phases of the moon and the different flavors of um being when you're ovulating or when you're menstruating the different flavors and archetypes that come through and really there's yeah the the experience of that is is what's really key i'm i've kind of lost your question i think i'm just talking Mm, mm -mm. no you're you're definitely circling it yeah (laughs) How has mythology then allowed you to perceive and to interpret the world around you and the events that are happening and and this cultural moment? How has myth been the lens for you to wrangle meaning from this time? Mm. I think we live in a time that has really no imagination, very little space for imagination. Imagination has been relegated to a childish activity so for me, myth is the place that I go to discover the beauty of of life. And I think without myth and imagination, life is just very, very hollow and and sad. <laughs> All you have is this kind of wheel of a mind that's going continually over the same track is like just obsessed about the past and the future and and for me myth is a way to step into a much larger self really or a larger way of being which is to be curious about what's happening to you to not try and problem solve it but to just be open to well this could lead in this direction or this direction or maybe um this moment itself is is a learning you know and yeah, to approach life with a mythic lens for me is is about is opening it, is enlarging it from this kind of quite small cage-like experience that we have of our mind. And I believe that the imagination is one of the greatest tools that we have and can massively change your life. I mean, to even just be dreaming, daydreaming about something beautiful gives you the experience of beauty and and so for me that's that's what it's about is is can I live in a realm where I'm making beauty all the time and I'm making love with with this existence and the the Mm. the myths for me are like they're these these stories but they're not really stories they're timeless they're they're not about oh this is what happened they're they're about these are ways of being that can open up other potential possibilities. Beautiful. 
I think in some ways we share a similar track in that, you know, when we met, I was also uh, working on a documentary, which was released a few years later called Amplify Her, which was looking at the number of women and their own unique expression through electronic music. And for me personally, that was also a deep dive into trying to understand the feminine. And in many ways, it was a deep falling in love with the feminine. And through that process, uh, you know, I myself came face to face actually with how little I knew about the masculine, which again, maybe is ironic or not, that myself as a man, as a uh, male identified person, that I had been given so little instruction, you know, culturally speaking around how to be, you know, quote, a man, but also even like, again, this mythological imagination, um, mythological capacity around masculinity. And so that launched me back then around 2015 or so into this inquiry, uh, which continues to this day right to here with this podcast. And I understand for you, it sounds like you also fell deeply in love with the feminine as it lived in you and through your encounters with women and with the feminine. And it sounds like through that process, it perhaps allowed you to then reapproach the masculine or perhaps maybe the masculine was the one knocking at your door after that and saying hey what about me <laughs> um, I'd love for you to to speak to that mm. yeah well to pick up from yeah pick up that thread I I then mm-hmm. I then fell in love with a man and I do actually think that that being able to be angry with men was what enabled that to happen. I could actually, there's something about anger that is very intimate in a way. And it, it opened a possibility to come closer than I'd ever been before. And so I'd had, I had this experience of like just totally feeling a yes for a man, which I hadn't ever felt actually. I'd always had a bit of a like, Oh, not sure about this. And just quite sort of elusive really. And then suddenly fell in love with this person and and was like, oh, it's yes. And like, I want to come around to your house tomorrow, like now, like, and the next day. And then, you know, like feeling this passion that I hadn't ever felt or sureness, I guess, that I hadn't ever felt. And, um, and of course, like he was unavailable in himself. And so... Yeah, there would be this like incredible passionate possibility that was like just within reach. And I reached out for it and then it was like he was gone. He, you know, he was off. Like he went traveling and, he, you know, he couldn't say yes mm. to it. Like our yeses didn't match basically. And and so I, I was kind of heartbroken. Um, I would say I was like heartbroken to like maybe about 40% heartbroken. And then... (laughs) Very specific. And then I met somebody else, another man, who it was a similar experience of just like, oh, yes, I feel yes for you. And um, wow. And just being so like excited by that. And and then him being like weird and flaky and me just being like, what the hell is going on? And then, you know, he also like disappeared off the radar and, and then I was a bit more heartbroken like maybe 50% because that was quite a small thing and then (laughs) and then um and then I met somebody else a third man 
the third man and these it was these three men that kind of cracked me basically and the third man was sometimes available and sometimes not available and so he kind of blew hot and cold basically so we would sometimes have this like oh amazing intimacy connection love beauty and then just like whoa I feel like I'm being frozen out what's going on and so um that dance happened for a while and then I got to a point of feeling like I can't this this actually isn't okay for me and if I'm going to be honoring myself I have to step out of this relationship uh which I did and knowing that I would be breaking my own heart um and his actually weirdly but but just feeling like this is this is what I have to do and so um I had to lose this absolutely beautiful for me this man was so beautiful and so poetic and so everything that I wanted and um I yeah I was then I was 100% heartbroken <laughs> just <laughs> like all the way and I I grieved like I've never experienced before for a very very long time I would say um and I've maybe not even stopped grieving that. And I, it, it, I, what I realized through this journey of the three, it was helpful to have three of them because they, there was a, there was something continuous that was running through. So each of them had some kind of grief in their life that they hadn't really grieved, um, and it was to do with with the masculine, so their fathers or their brothers or something along those lines, and. <clears throat> So I noticed that and I was like, well, that's interesting. They all they all have grief to grieve and they all are unavailable in some way. And so I started to inquire around myself around, well, how am I unavailable and how, how have I got grief that I haven't grieved? And I started to um, talk to my dad about it and have like dates with my dad and and just kind of say like, you you were quite unavailable really emotionally and it was difficult for both of us to to actually open that conversation for me to say like actually yeah the first time I was heartbroken dad was with you um and he then spoke about his dad and his dad being emotionally unavailable and then talking about his dad, so my great-granddad, who died in the First World War. So my granddad never knew his father. So then we started to track this theme, really, of the absent masculine, of the, of the like, where is he? Like, what? who is he? <laughs> and this feeling of, like, I can't quite reach him. So that was the experience I had with these with these relationships was like, oh, it's so close, but I can't have you. I can't touch you. I can't you're not really you, you disappear and and so with my dad we like tracked this this theme and um you know there's a whole story with that we like went and found the place where my granddad great granddad died and blah, blah, blah. but that's probably a, wow. a slightly different story that that we yeah we found his grave and we we grieved for him so i guess it is related that we we went and we sang and we cried and at that time I was having dreams about a little boy like really, really often. And I dream about a little boy that was lost or a little boy that was homeless or a little boy that was a refugee. And I had to help him and look after him. And it was so many dreams like this. And 
Then I found, like nearby where I was living, I found a little child's grave and there was a little boy, a statue of a little boy, a stone statue of a boy. So I would go there every day and I would just bring my grief to this statue around the pain of this loss of of the masculine. And sorry, did you want to say something? I'm just appreciating the profundity mm. of the story you're sharing. Mm. Yeah, I'd love for you to just continue. Yeah, and and so then I felt like, okay, I think I probably need to attend to this young masculine in me, this little lost boy who's lost his dad and and doesn't know what it means to be a man or a, or a boy even. Um and so I started to try to find ways that I could meet this young masculine part of myself. And so then at that time, I <clears throat> started working with Bill Plotkin, who does a mm. lot of myth. Soulcraft. Yeah, Soulcraft. He wrote Soulcraft and does a lot of mythopoetic um, journeying. And it's absolutely incredible work. And I had... I had actually thought that I was done with male teachers. I, I thought that I didn't need to learn anything from men because I was like, oh, they're, ev they're everywhere. Like I've been learning from men my whole life. And but actually I got to this point of feeling like, no, actually, I want to work with this study with this man and um, and what an incredible man he is. And, and I felt the maturity of his masculine for me was was a real um role model of of how to be a mature masculine and all of his work bill plotkin's work is about living in service to soul basically so i did a year-long um journey with him and that involved what i would see as quite masculine um things that you do so you go out into the desert it's hardcore you like I did a vision fast so you don't eat for four days. You sleep out on your own. You could be eaten by a lion. Like all of those kind of like brave, <laughs> courageous trekking with a massive bag, you know, that I just so wasn't into that because I was like, no, man, I'm soft and that's okay. And like, I like beauty and I like soft textures and like, I don't like, you know, getting really, really burnt and then having chapped lips and that kind of thing. <laughs> um so yeah, so I but I did this really for my for my inner masculine um and and like basically initiated my my inner masculine through this process. Mm. Um but at the time like I also wouldn't talk about that experience as gendered at all either. There was there was also just a genuine experience of me um coming into relationship with my soul in in an absolutely incredible way what it felt like was that my masculine was growing up basically and and I was honoring him and and then my understanding really of the mature masculine is that is that he lives in service of the soul so you could say that the ego is yeah that the mature ego lives in service of the soul and so I started to see it in terms like that that my masculine is in a way my kind of my my ego in a sense and that it was wanting now to live in service of my soul my feminine 
and um and actually how terrifying that is how terrifying it is to commit to your soul life it's just like and and that was that was the experience of of working with bill plotkin was like actually the calling to live from your soul life it demands absolutely everything of you and we want to hide in relationships or we want to find someone else that we can like get really obsessed with and not do our our life in a way and um to say yes to what your soul is asking of you is a massive death in a way of your ego or of that's how i experienced it was um so much grieving really for the life that my ego thinks it wants and and then being like no the soul has got other ideas and um what does that what does that look like so yeah that's that's kind of the story more or less yeah wow what was the life that your ego wanted to live before this and and how did it change for you after this journey you took yeah i think my ego um wanted to live a very like safe and comfortable life and quite probably conventional or or just conditioned so thinking like oh yeah i'll you know find a nice partner and have some children and maybe i'll write a novel and you know just like enjoy a quiet life and my soul is just like ripping everything up like my soul is just like i i I'm ripping up what is not true about life. And um, I think, yeah, that's what I wanted to say also in relation to the song was that the, the, the feminine that I experienced, my own soul, I suddenly had to be the prey to my soul, the predator, mm. <laughs> um, having written all of these songs about how powerful she is and how destructive she is and how if you're not, you know, living a line, she's going to come and take it all apart. Then I felt like I I experienced being taken apart, you know, and and having this person taken away from me, the, the third guy I was talking about was just, I was like outraged. I was like, why can't I have this thing that I want? I can't have this thing that I want and um and like my heart being totally broken and being completely split open and I remember at the time like I had a beloved tree that I used to visit really regularly that was I called her the queen of the underworld she's so powerful and every time I got near her I'd kind of feel dizzy and just be like whoa what's going on with this tree and then one day I went to visit her and she had been split down the middle and her branches like she was just open wide open to the sky and I was like distraught I was like Mm. and it felt like she'd lost her power it was just like she's been destroyed and I just stayed and stayed with her in that state and it was it's also been raining and it was all just like a grim it was like a grim sight and then I just felt like I am being called to live this wide open I am being called to feel everything so deeply to to be completely open like broken open all the time like you don't get over heartbreak or you shouldn't want to get over heartbreak Mm -hmm. in a way I mean we want to because it's it's excruciating but actually 
that's what I feel I'm being called to is to live in excruciating heart openness that is just you know where where everything you see is exquisitely beautiful or painful or maybe they're the same thing you know that I think that when I was in my my deepest heartbreak all of life just seemed like so amplified um and and I think that's the state that my soul is constantly just like no you you stay stay open don't go back into your safe cozy comfortable protected life and if and if ever I try to she's just like and will like open it again you know Mm. and there's that there's that fairy tale of um the princess and the pea do you know that story Mm. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to summarize well just that there's a princess who um I think I can't remember the exact story, but she goes to stay somewhere and there's all of these, there's a pea at the bottom of the bed and then there's all of these mattresses and she sleeps on top of them. And in the morning she's black and blue, she's bruised all over. And she's like, there's a pea at the bottom of the (laughs) hundred mattresses. And in a way, like that's how we can, we can be. So like my masculine, my immature masculine might be like, everything's fine. Like what, shut up you know like I'm doing really well (laughs) and then and my feminine is just like no there's there's a pee and it's really really important that that gets taken out and you're like but then I have to lift up all of these mattresses and get right underneath it and she's like yeah that's what you have to do and and you have to destroy you have to it's all got to fall over you know and and I think that's that's the calling why do you think this is such medicine for this time? Beyond even, beyond your personal story, it feels like, I'll say it, that yeah. this does feel like yeah. real medicine for this time. And yeah. and I'm curious to know why you might think so. Well, tell me, your, tell me how you hear that. Mm. My exploration into the feminine, you've spoken about this chaos. And in particular, you know, I read uh, Marion Woodman's book, Dancing in the Flames, which is about the dark feminine and the black goddess and speaks about this chaos that um, really is in response to an, an order that has become overtly oppressive or stifling or concretized or really, you know, life withering is one way to think of it. And so I think that modern culture at large has become this life stifling culture or monolith that's really separated itself in so many ways from the kind of messy, you know, wildness of life. And so chaos in the face of that oppressive order is, is a medicine. You know, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's spoken like Kali, right? Is this energy that comes in and cuts off Shiva's head and says, you know, get out of your head. You know, there's the rest of life here that needs you. Yeah. Yeah. And so Absolutely. in some ways I see your journey is actually kind of embodying this, this dance through the polarities uh, and coming to a place of integration so that you can really both perceive what's so needed in this time in the culture and also embody it and express it, in particular through your artistry, but also uh, in a myriad other ways. Yeah. Yeah, something that I did really get from the Bill Popkin journey was that you have to experience what it is that you um, do. So so for me to experience like my name being Bo Huntress and this archetype of the Huntress who goes hunting 
for the heart, you know, and that's really what it's about for me is hunting the heart of, of the human ones. And if I'm going to do that, I have to experience what that's like. Mm. And so this whole experience felt to me as though I, I hunted my own heart and I am constantly hunting my own heart and I can only really be in service of other people if I'm, if I'm experiencing my own medicine, if you know what I mean, what I give to others is, is I, I have to live by my own hand that, that experience. And that's why I've sung this, the song that's called Undefended Heart, that it is, it is about, it is about that. Like, can I actually be hunted by this, this feminine who holds up a mirror and is constantly saying, look, look, and showing showing me the truth and saying i'm not i'm not going to actually accept anything less than that and if you if you if you go off i'm going to fight you and i will fight you <laughs> <laughs> i'm fighting for your life you know mm. and can i get on board with that fight can my ego get on board and say like okay you you win i I surrender to you and I am in service of you. And if I don't, my life's going to be a misery because we're going to be at war. And and we have this thing about the, the men and women being at war. Mm. So, you know, how that's talked about and how there's these, it feels like there's these two sides and they're warring. And in relationships, it can often feel like that. And actually this war is going on inside of us. Mm-hmm. The, the, the war between the the one that's calling you so deeply to your truest self and the one that is resisting that with all of its with all of its might and actually what does it take to undefend yourself and say yeah i i'm terrified and i'm i'm going to surrender and and let you the feminine win mm. and i say that like it's not about letting women win. It's about letting the feminine win. And mm-hmm. women obviously can wield the dominating, controlling energy in a dis- in a in a destructive way that's not serving life mm-hmm. as as well as men. And yeah, just to say how much men have also suffered at the hands of of patriarchy mm-hmm. because they're not. <laughs> You know, to live in the immature masculine is is just hell for everybody. You know, where it's it's a kind of very brittle existence. It's a trap. It's it's yeah, you're trapped in the mind and and for me that it's like this is a moment to moment dance for me. It's like every moment really I can choose to be in my body and in my being and breathing and open hearted and in this actual moment, or I can choose to be in my mind, lost in thought, planning, controlling, dominating, like getting obsessed, (laughs) you know? And, and so for me, that's, it's, I'm constantly in the dance of the masculine and feminine or the, or the ego and soul. She walks 
holding a mirror. So when you meet her, you see yourself, and you might love her, and you might hate her, but what she shows you will be the truth. Will be the truth. Will be the truth. Will be. Whatever's hidden, whatever's stuck, the one thing you don't want—that's what she's got. And can you let go of your pride? And can you let yourself be shaken? And in the flame of her firelight, let your heart follow burn. Undefended heart, and I will show you what you need to know. Give me an undefended heart, and I will take you where you need to go. To kill her, you'll want to crush her until she's gone, and you're alone again, and you're safe now to feel nothing and carry on. But why are you running? Why are you running? Why are you running? What are you running from? I will 
No, I will not fight it. How has the journey now impacted your ability to relate to men? Or has it actually allowed you to shift how you relate to men? Do they become more accessible to you now? Or at least do you feel a sense of more knowing the pain that often can keep men separate or unavailable from themselves and from mm. their lovers? Yeah, I feel like I, I definitely understand the emotional distance um, through this experience. Like I, I, I had to really come face to face with my own unavailability that I was hounding these guys for being unavailable and then was like, where am I unavailable? And actually seeing how much I, I avoid my vulnerability, my emotions, my um, life as it really is. And yeah, so definitely a lot more compassion and understanding for that. And, you know, I, I, I'm in a relationship now where I, feel very um honored and listened to and loved and yeah it's a it's a beautiful experience to to feel that and it does it does kind of show some kind of mirror to me about my own masculine has kind of has matured to the point of what I'm seeing in my outside life but I also think that it's it's not really necessarily about the out, outer stuff and we become very obsessed with that and that um, really it is about the inner relationship and, and in my relationship I think we continually project upon each other and, you know, are working stuff out mm. and actually it's it's really the inner relationship. That's my experience is if I'm in my inner relationship, then um, it's not, I'm not looking for anyone else to do anything for me, really, to to be anything for me. And we have such a massive fairy tale around looking for this person that's going to save our lives, change our lives, complete us, all of that stuff. It's so deeply conditioned and, and actually getting... getting to a point where I feel like the search is off. I'm not looking for that person anymore. I'm, I, it's me. It's only in me that I can experience that. And then there's other people in my life with whom I experience really great intimacy and connection and beauty and love. And I have many, many lovers, you know, my friends, my family, my my cat, my trees. That, do you know what I mean? It's like actually the lovership is everywhere. The eroticism is everywhere. And it's not, there's not going to be this one person or one place that is going to make me have an experience that I can't have apart from myself. Mm. Makes me think of a new term, perhaps Gaia Amory, something like that. Mm. The many loves of life. <laughs> Yeah. So hearing you speak about the inner the inner relationship, it actually made me even re uh, reimagine this the fairy tale of which men and women are conditioned into to look for that you know magical other one in which to complete them, uh, 
save them from themselves or whatever that is. And I'm actually appreciating how I can see it now differently, that perhaps that longing itself is the soul's longing for the marriage of the other. Uh, in this case, say for men and the, the woman is actually the inner feminine, you know, this desire to actually wed the inner feminine. And for women, those identify that way. And of course, the man and the Prince Charming and all that, perhaps from a mature lens that that's actually the longing with which to to wed that other polarity within themselves uh, rather than seek it outside. So I just really appreciate that image. Mm, yeah, totally. You've captured it. That's that's exactly what I mean. And I do also think it's about maturing both masculine and feminine so that, you know, in that sense that the mature feminine will cool and destroy the immature masculine and the, and the mature masculine will um kind of in light like will enable or give permission to the to the mature feminine and um so it's 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 about wedding the polarities but it's also about maturing the polarities and you know the immature masculine and the immature feminine will just collude with each other they will just they'll just like set up home together and live a miserable life, you know, <laughs> where she might be like, I'm talking internally here, not actual women, remember, the internal feminine might be kind of needy and apologetic and not saying her truth. And then the internal masculine might be like avoidant and hmm. um, dismissive and unavailable. And that's generally where we are, I think, a lot of the time internally and and they just you know it's just it's awful it's, that's a terrible experience <laughs> and whereas you know you get this other experience and they can help each other they can actually help mature each other within and then eventually you know with this sense of honoring each other and appreciating each other like I really appreciate my mature ego I really appreciate the ability by which me as a being as a as a personality can channel something so immense you know and I couldn't do that otherwise like I have I'm here in in body and I I can be the voice for my inner feminine and that is a marriage between my inner masculine and my inner feminine you know there is something about my inner masculine that enables me to do all of the things that I do with kind of yeah clarity and and devotion um that if I didn't have that in place I might I might just literally be a tornado like ripping up <laughs> my own house <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. yeah mm. thank you well i feel we're getting now towards the end of our discussion really appreciated it uh, i'd love for you to share a little about how or where uh listeners could experience you experience your performance and where to listen to the extensive catalog of which you have available of your work mm. Yeah, I tend to perform in London at the moment where I'm living. Um, but occasionally I do like go elsewhere. And so, yeah, check that out online. It will be, the news will be on my website, which is bowhuntress.com. And then also you can access all of the music from bowhuntress.com 
Um, you can listen to pretty much everything on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Some of it's on Spotify. And yeah, I feel like I've got a new season of songwriting ahead of me. So I'm mm. feeling quite excited about that. It'd be quite interesting to see yeah, whether mm. the flavor changes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So what's your edge then creatively in this moment? But what does that mean? I don't know. I never thought of the question until I said it right now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to close, I figured to, I'm curious to know, yeah, creatively, where is the edge for you of, of where you're exploring or where you're leaning into in terms of the songwriting, or maybe it's coming from a different place within you in a cultural moment? Yeah, I'd say that my edge is about doing this in a marriage really consciously with my creativity, because I think it's always happened and I just haven't been conscious of that. So I've always, you know, some people call it channeling or, or just the idea that you sit down and you let the divine come through you and speak through you. And that's kind of always happened quite naturally for me. And now I feel like I have a completely different relationship to that where I'm just like, wow, <laughs> that is amazing. And what like sometimes it moves me to tears now to just feel like there's this lovership between me and a mysterious part of me or the all that is or whatever you want to say how how you want to look at that but just this experience of like a mysterious other that I co-create with and that's on all levels like co-create my life every day every moment with but can also create things that then go and have a life and it's a bit like having children you know it's like we we get together we make this life and then we send it out into the world and I think I've never been so conscious of of that so yeah I think I'm just going to enjoy a kind of experience of making love and making beauty and offering that to anybody else who might want to share it Mm. maybe so (laughs) well Bo thank you so much for our conversation today Mm, thank you Ian thank you for listening to today's Mythic Masculine podcast if you liked what you heard be sure to subscribe on iTunes Spotify or wherever you're listening and leave a comment and if you'd like to support future episodes head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Ian Mack that's P-A-T- R-E-O-N dot com slash I-A-N-M-A-C-K to become an ongoing funder. Thank you.